All right, episode 24, Are You Serious? Thank you for joining. I am meteorologist Andrew Dockery. And I'm Jamie Arnold, chief meteorologist at WMBF News. And uh, welcome to Are You Serious? Are You Serious? I'm excited about this episode. I am really excited about this episode. If you are listening to us or watching us and you have no idea who we are, we are two meteorologists down here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, I had to say that because someone messaged me saying they were listening from Rhode Island. So thank you for finding us. I don't that's know almost, how you found us. That's almost as good as our listener from Iran. Right. So uh, <laughs> we're here, which I did check, 13 countries. Don't know if that's a different IP address or what, but still. Okay. Um, also, a big thank you. August was our most streamed month. We talked about that. Yeah. We have now hit 2,040 downloads as of this recording. Love which it. Those are the hardcore fans. Yeah. Because like, you actually have to hit the right. download button. Um, which is awesome. And then YouTube, 7,638 views. I'm kind of impressed. Kind of impressed. When we were talking about this, I did not expect. No. No. That. So I do want to give a shout out. Maybe we start doing shout outs so then they could share it. Yeah. Um, To Emily's dad. Okay. John Deller. And the reason I say that is because he has started watching Are You Serious? Love it. Hasn't missed an episode, and he actually asked more questions after (laughs) listening. He watches on YouTube, I guess, when he's working, um, and he says that we crack him up. So, John, wherever you're listening to right now, hopefully you're having a fantastic day, and thank you. That's awesome. And welcome. Yeah. I mean, I know he supports me, obviously, son-in-law, but to sit through (laughs) however many minutes. To sit through one of these? Yeah, it's pretty dedicated. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's awesome. Like, share, subscribe, comment. We had a fun last week without Roker. Yep. That interview. I had a good time with that. Just went off the rails, and I loved every second of um, it. We got a, another shout-out uh, to the newest, youngest member of oh, our yes. weather team, baby Alexander. Alexander Russell Bullock. Yes. Um, Have you talked to Matt? Uh, texted him a little bit. <laughs> I know what it's like having a baby, so yeah. I have not bothered him too much. But, yeah, we've gone from uh, – Fratty Maddie to Daddy Maddie. Daddy Maddie. That's the new nickname. <laughs> Daddy Maddie. Yep. Uh, we're going to call that the lower will be Daddy Maddie. Yep. No. Uh, I did text him and I said, hey, how's everything going? He said, the sleep is no joke. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think he posted about it, you know, very yep. little sleep. But it sounds like him and Cammy are doing shifts. Doing yeah. That's how you have to That's do it. That's how you got to do it. Um, he's used to work in the early morning, so I think he said he took the overnight morning yeah. shift. but. Um, congrats, Jamie and Matt. That's awesome. Yes. How's Jamie been? Jamie's good. Um, chugging along, doing pretty well. Uh, not much happening. Can we talk about this fall weather, too? Oh, it's fantastic, finally. When we finally. say fall in Myrtle Beach, for those that are curious, yeah. upper 70s, lower 80s. It's, it's still wonderful. <laughs> These nights and these mornings recently are, are just are just perfect. It puts me in a better mood. Yeah. I think everybody's just kind of in a better mood. I think so, too. Because yeah. we like survived summer. And looking long-term... <laughs> Yeah. It might of, be an easy transition. Yeah. And I'm starting to think we're done with 90s. I, Every I once in a while, we can it. get a spike in October. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had just awful heat right on through the middle of October. But yeah, I'm like you, looking way down the road, not really seeing any big heat. Of course, mm-hmm. it'll warm up and get cooler, but not yeah. seeing any kind of big time heat coming back. So maybe we're done with the 90s. Yeah. I hope. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we're going to shoot the breeze a little bit later. We have new questions from you. As always, if you get questions, let us know. You can put them in the comments section on YouTube uh, or even message us. I know Mark, our good listener, Mark, messages yep. us those. Uh, so we appreciate that. But I have a feeling we'll probably get more questions from today's topic. And we'll jump into it because I have a feeling between you and I. <laughs> we can go on forever We're going to spend probably too much time on yeah. this. Uh, but it's a system and a storm that everyone remembers if they were here. Um, if not, it's one like me that you've looked at and researched and yep. watched the videos of the damage. Uh, we're talking about Hurricane Hugo. Hurricane Hugo. We are coming up on the 34th yeah, we anniversary the on uh, September 22nd. Yeah. Uh, so this weekend coming up, yeah, 34 years. Number one, that makes me feel really old. Um, but number two, I can remember every detail. Mm just as clear as day i can close my eyes and think of that morning in charlotte and still see it yeah so you were in charlotte when all this was unfolding yeah we'll talk about obviously the main details here but what was it like for you in charlotte what do you remember about the prep for hugo there was none there was there was <laughs> I remember none saying that. yeah there was none in charlotte um 
the the forecast. Hugo, obviously the local news stations and the local meteorologists were were talking about it, and it was all about Charleston and Myrtle Beach, and but there was very little emphasis on what would happen once past landfall and you got to remember too 1989 the forecasts were a lot less accurate yeah there were hurricane warnings from jacksonville florida to cape hatteras north carolina Mm -hmm. just a huge area because it could have gone in anywhere there so like i said there was very little prep uh in charlotte it wasn't really until the night before it hit i remember watching the 6 p.m news that night um and talk about it being windy and wet the next day Mm. But nothing really out of the ordinary. Um, wet and windy. Yeah. And that was kind of it. Everybody went to bed. Um, I remember I called my grandmother because I was still a you know crazy weathered nut. It, I was 12 at the time. And I said, uh, Granny, make sure you take your ferns down off the front porch just in case it gets kind of windy. And went to bed and woke up about 2 a.m. to the sound of the house creaking. Mm from the gusts and it was just getting started and from that point on it just escalated and escalated the peak the worst of it hit uh there in charlotte right around sunrise so just as it was starting to get daylight Mm. uh is when it hit its peak and i remember standing at my back window and thinking i didn't know trees could bend this far the wind was blowing so hard, it, it looked and felt like every single tree in the world was going to break. The yeah. gusts would come through and the trees would just almost lay down and kind of pop back up and then lay down. Uh, 14 days later, still had no power. School was out for two weeks. Mm. You want to talk about a city crippled, absolutely crippled. Every street was blocked and closed. Just the amount of tree damage, the windows blown out of buildings in uptown charlotte just insane yeah we talk about these systems all the time especially with the hurricanes in the tropics uh, these are um you know something as impactful as hugo or mm-hmm. a florence or a matthew it's not only tracking this across the atlantic but then you have actual impacts mm-hmm. then you have the aftermath and i think this state north and south carolina mm-hmm. would tell you that this is a prime example of it only takes one yeah and here we are 34 years later telling you everything i just i was looking at the history of it this was a tropical wave off the coast of africa mm-hmm. september 9th so keep in mind september 9th <laughs> yeah. uh we're talking about a landfall that was around midnight there september 22nd so yep. there's a course of 13 days in fact yeah. one thing that i learned recently I knew it got to a Category 5. Yep. I didn't realize it weakened substantially Yeah. Uh, after it hit the mountainous terrain. Yeah, it came over Puerto Rico and uh, went into Puerto Rico as almost a 5. By the time it came out of Puerto Rico um, on the other side, uh, it had weakened substantially. Hugo in Puerto Rico was like Hugo in South Carolina. You go to Puerto Rico and Maria has kind of replaced it, but Hugo was a benchmark storm for them as well. Uh, It was really, really devastating hit uh, to Puerto Rico. But yeah, um, weakened substantially, I think down to a category two. Yeah, category two. By the time it came on off the other side of Puerto Rico. It actually lost its eye. Yeah. uh, Which I was looking at some of the satellite data, and I was like, whoa. And then this thing went from no eye on September 19th to a massive category four, which is kind of what we're talking about here in the Carolinas. We've gotten a little fancy here today. Yeah. Uh, that we actually have some photos that we're going to put behind us. Um, and I think everyone that was here through this, mm-hmm. I remember going up, one of my first things that you had me do was go up to Florence and Darlington just to show the impacts. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to some of the emergency managers and the city leaders there. And one of the things they continued to say is the night, was one of the worst nights, if yeah. not the worst night of their life. Yeah. They've never heard wind like it. Yeah. They woke up the next morning, sunrise, to all the dam- damage that looked like just a tornado. Yeah, that just went on forever and ever and ever. It was, uh, It's one of those storms that defines a generation mm. that – even if you weren't around for it, you've heard about it. Yeah. Because the older people talk about it. Yeah. Old folks like me. Yeah. You know, we talk about it. And you pass down the stories, and it it just becomes a part of 
the history and the sort of the fabric of the community. And it's, it's just etched into sort of the history of the area. And Hugo is one of those storms. Here locally, we were talking about, you know, this made landfall near Sullivan's Island. Mm-hmm. Um, McClellanville is a staple, I feel like, when you mm-hmm. talk about Hugo. But even here locally, the impacts mm-hmm. were absolutely substantial. Storm surge alone. Storm surge. And the, and the thing is, and I, I t- always talk about Hugo uh, when I go and do mm-hmm. talks. Um, because a lot of people know Hugo. <clears throat> Obviously, a lot of locals were here for Hugo. And I always tell them it's... It's a benchmark storm for this area, but it could have been so much worse. Yeah. Um, Hugo was a very, obviously, impactful, devastating storm for the Grand Strand. Um, But you got to remember, like you said, the center made landfall all the way down in Sullivan's Island. Yeah. Uh, It was a big storm. It was moving perpendicular to the coast which we always say that track is always the worst Um, a storm that's coming at the coast at a 90 degree angle Um, and we were on that sort of dreaded as you can see uh, right front Mm. quadrant of the hurricane and it just pushed uh, that massive storm surge uh, right into the beach speaking of storm surge um, the highest storm surge from Hugo was down in Bulls Bay which is just south of McClellanville 2020 20.2 20.2 feet uh, was the surge. That's nuts. Which hit at midnight at high tide. Yeah, think uh, about that. So it was just absolutely devastating to this day. Uh, that remains the highest storm surge ever on the East Coast. Um, the Myrtle Beach tide gauge was destroyed. So we don't have an official number for the city of Myrtle Beach, mm. uh, but the tide gauge in North Myrtle Beach reached 10 feet. Surfside Beach was 14 feet, mm-hmm. and Pauly's was 16 feet yeah. for the storm surge, um, which is just, you know, phenomenal. You think to some of our recent storms, mm-hmm. which have had five, six, six feet. seven feet. So mm-hmm. add another 10 feet on top of that, and you, you kind of get an idea. Um, surge powerful enough, uh, brand new inlet cut in Pauly's Island. Um, half of all the houses in Pauly's Island obliterated obliterated um some of the pictures behind us uh you'll see are kind of from the area that's the myrtle beach boardwalk Mm. uh the morning after again uh, a infamous picture that's uh surfside beach surfside beach that's just crazy to see that's surfside beach with a house uh in the middle of the street there were a couple of other houses that were blown into the marsh uh that was down towards the sullivan's island area um and it just yeah and it just gives you an idea of the the magnitude of the storm surge uh, associated with Hugo, and that's the radar out of Charleston at the moment of landfall, what's, right at midnight. What's so crazy to me, and that landfall image shows it a little bit better because it was such a large storm. Mm-hmm. The eye was so large. Yeah. Um, when you look at rainfall totals, because this thing was booking it, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing. compared you had to ten storm. inches, yeah, and down near where it made landfall, and then you had another swath um, up north into North Carolina, but. Overall, it was kind of a three to six inch yeah. rainfall kind of storm. It wasn't. It wasn't a rain hurricane. This it thing was, was all wind. Yeah, it was wind and, and water. Surge. It was. It was moving um, at about twenty five miles per hour when it made landfall, uh, and then actually accelerated uh, as it moved into the northern part of South Carolina and through North Carolina. So it was. It was booking. The scale of wind was crazy. I wrote down some of the winds. Of course, at the Sandpit River, one hundred and twenty mile per hour, one minute average wind speeds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thing about that, Charleston, uh, 87 mile per hour with gusts of 94. Folly Beach, 85 mile per hour with gusts of 93. Here locally in Myrtle, mm-hmm. 66 mile per hour wind gust. You had 52. 76. 76, 76 sorry. yeah. 52 sustained. Florence, 45, gusts of 54. Um, the Charlotte one. Charlotte one, yeah. Gust of 84 miles per hour. Uh, that was the official gust at Charlotte um charlotte douglas airport. airport um lots of other sort of uh, more unofficial reports of 90 to 100 That's just um, nuts. and those i those i tend to believe just based on the the damage. extent of the damage let's go back to the wind gust in myrtle beach though because yeah. this is another thing that i always kind of drive home uh when i'm giving these talks about hugo 74 miles per hour mm-hmm. here in myrtle beach yep that was the gust mm-hmm. that does a lot of damage yeah it's a strong wind gust 
it's just barely category one yeah. hurricane strength. Yeah. And that was a gust, not sustained. Yeah. Um, we matched that with Hurricane Matthew. Our peak gust with Hurricane Matthew was 74 miles per hour. Again, emphasizing it wasn't – the Grand Strand didn't receive Category 4 impacts. Yeah. We basically received the equivalent of a, a strong Category 1 hurricane. Yeah. I'm from glad Hugo. you said that. Um, and I say that, and some people are like, no. There was no, no way. No way. And, yes, it was a bad hurricane, but once you got away from – the beaches um yes there was a ton of wind damage no doubt about it but it wasn't the extreme wind damage that you had further south yeah it was it was a lot of trees which obviously caused a lot of problem but uh it was the kind of damage you get with a category one hurricane yeah just with an incredible surge i remember you you ask that every time yep. you do a talk <laughs> hey so what do you all think you know the winds were and people yeah. always say cat three cat four yep. um but the wind alone, like you said, even Category 1, just proves mm -hmm. it doesn't take much. Nope. So no. when we're tracking these systems come again, it's always important, you know, never let your guard down for yeah. one. Two, I'm glad you said it, the direction of which this made landfall yeah. always has All, to be taken seriously. Yeah, it always makes a difference, that, that perpendicular landfall of a storm. Uh, if you're on that north side, yeah. that's that's bad. And I, this is another thing I always tell people when I'm talking to them is if, you know, if you see me on the air and I'm talking about a hurricane, especially a stronger one that's coming at the coast like this at that 90 degree angle, yeah. this is the one I really want you to take serious because yeah. that that northern that northern eye wall, we, the, the, you know, infamous right front quadrant. Uh, it's going to be problems if, mm. if something like that hits our coast. I don't know if you have this one. It's funny because we compared notes before this, and they're so identical. Um, power outages? 80%. Yeah, 80% 80 of the state without power. Of, of uh, South Carolina without power. The only area that really escaped the worst of it was uh, way down south, mm -hmm. Hilton Head, um, the Beaufort area, and then way back in the upstate of South Carolina. Otherwise, most of the state was just, yeah, in the dark. I could never get an official number of people killed. It, it fluctuates everywhere I look. I saw some that said, you know, 49 from the storm. I've seen some 60s. I don't know, but unfortunately there were fatalities. 11 billion in damage. Yep. Just absurd. Um, this this little fact always just, just blows my mind, and it's a testament to the wind. 4.5 million trees blown down in South Carolina. 4.5 million trees. Uh, that's Francis Marion National Forest. That's just, that looks like something out in the plains from yeah. an EF5. Yeah, uh, and that's Garden City uh, the morning after, which is just unbelievable yeah unbelievable uh but yeah the picture of those trees there that was francis marion national forest if you take the drive south down mm -hmm. 17 going to charleston you drive through it and a lot of regrowth now but yeah uh 90 percent of that forest uh completely flattened um enough trees that had all of that wood been salvaged uh could have built one million homes <laughs> that's how much timber was lost and that was a big economic impact uh, was the timber oh. loss in South mm -hmm. Carolina. Uh, I think the total, final damage total from uh, Hugo uh, came in at around $8 billion, and a billion and a half of that was just in agricultural losses. The amount of timber that was lost, uh, cotton crops, tobacco crops um, that were devastated all across the state. But, yeah, one million homes could have been built with the amount of timber that was blown down. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. And I remember seeing even some of the videos, like you said, when the wind um, went up into Florence at Darlington, we're talking gusts 45, 50. Um, it looked like a tornado ripped through there, too. Yeah. It, there's some of the old video, and I'm sure we have it, of driving down, and you just see trees all yeah. over the roadways. Um, just nuts to think about how yeah, many the, trees Yeah, uh, the down. hurricane force winds um, extended 200 miles inland. Uh, so the track obviously uh, made landfall. Um, as a Category 4, sustained winds at 140, just north of Charleston, like I said, Sullivan's Island. Mm -hmm. um, it was still a hurricane as it passed just west of Columbia. So um, Shaw Air Force Base had a gust to 109. Imagine that far, and mm. you're still gusting over 100. Um, it finally transitioned from a hurricane to a tropical storm, weakened enough 
just as it was passing over the west side of Charlotte. The eye uh, more or less went over the west side of Charlotte, and at that point it was downgraded from a hurricane to a tropical storm, uh, but was still producing hurricane force gusts there uh, up in Charlotte. Just crazy to think about. Um, There's some links, too, that I'm sure you all can find. If not, I'll see if our guy who puts this up, Michael, can throw them up in maybe the comments. One of those, though, was before it even made um, landfall, our good old hurricane hunters. A notable story. A a very notable story, and and as um, amazing as the hurricane hunters are, and all of the hurricanes that they've been flying into Mm -hmm. for so, so long, Hugo was about that close to giving the hurricane hunters a disaster. Yeah, which I didn't know before then. There were six disasters. Yeah. Six aircraft losses, members killed. And I didn't know that until I read Jeff Masters, Dr. Jeff Masters' look back at the flight into Hugo. We'll make sure that link is posted because it is. If you enjoy a good read, uh, that is is it. And it it is lengthy. It it is. It is. (laughs) I I read it last night. I almost missed my cue for the 11 o'clock news because I was so into it, uh, reading reading the story. Um, and basically, uh, it was the first mission into Hugo because it's harder yeah. to fly out into hurricanes when they're way out there in the middle yep. of the Atlantic Ocean. But as Hugo was uh, starting to work its way closer to the Caribbean islands, it was sort of within range of the hurricane hunters. So it was the very first flight into Hugo. Um, everything was going good. They went in at fifteen hundred feet. I think <laughs> that's where they that's where they messed up. Uh, there were some there were some radar issues on board. Yeah. Before they got into the core of Hurricane Hugo, and at the time they thought they were going into a strong Category Three. Um, they had satellite estimates that the winds were about one hundred and thirty miles per hour. They had some radar issues on board. They were trying to kind of get those fixed before getting into the eye. Uh, they finally got radar data back, but at that point, they were already pretty much closing in mm-hmm. uh, on the eye wall. And typically, a weaker hurricane, they will go in kind of low. low. A stronger hurricane, they'll go fly in around 5,000 feet. Um, but they didn't really have a lot of time, maybe as much time as they needed to kind of, once the radar came back, to see what exactly they were dealing with. So they sort of made the decision, let's go in at 1,500 feet. Mm. <laughs> and that ended up being a really bad decision. Yeah, you think of your typical thunderstorm, like downdrafts, updrafts. Yeah. Same thing with these hurricane squalls. Yep. Um, so much so that he talks about in the write-up, mm-hmm. every time they would hit a squall going mm-hmm. into the eye wall, the plane would drop. Yeah. And I think he said they hit three. Yep. That last one. Yep. Dropped them down to 880 feet? 880 feet above the ocean in the eye wall of a hurricane. And what, mm. even with what they were going through, um, they were able to sort of note the measurements. Uh, they thought they were flying into a Category 3 hurricane. Oh Hugo was in the process of rapidly intensifying uh, and at that time reached Category 5 intensity. 160 mile per hour sustained winds. Mm. Uh, the plane that they were on experienced six G's. <laughs> I wrote that down. Six G's <laughs> in a plane that was designed. And it's not a comfortable plane. It's not a comfortable plane. It's not flying. It's not like riding a seven forty seven on your trip to Atlanta. Like it's you're kind of it's it's tight. bare bones, tight, full of equipment. Six G's uh, is what the plane experienced. A plane that is built for three G's. Oof. Three G's. So they're flying through the eye wall at fifteen hundred feet. They dropped to 800 feet. Um, the inside of the plane was trashed. When you experience that much force, both up and down, everything was breaking loose. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes uh, about a 200-pound life raft at the back of the plane mm-hmm. that broke loose from its anchoring. And imagine a 200-pound raft at the ceiling as they're going down. And then crashing back down as they're in an updraft, um, it hit the top of the plane with such force it actually left a dent in the mm-hmm. one-inch steel of the plane. Um, and it was about a, that was over the course of three minutes. It took them three minutes mm-hmm. to fly through the eye wall. Uh, they got into the eye, 
which by that point was four nautical miles, mm -hmm. four miles, tiny little eye, which you get with the really intense hurricanes um, and realize they lost one engine, uh, was on fire mm -hmm. uh, and had damage they to it. They could see it Yeah, could see, could see flames coming out of the engine. Um, the other engine had some damage to it and was barely working. Both of those engines on the same wing. Yeah. Um, so they realize that as they get into this tiny eye. And from there, decisions have to be made. Decisions have to be made, which... Four miles in an airplane is not a lot of room to wiggle. It is not. You think about how hard it takes for an, an airplane. You know, they make a nice mm -hmm. gradual turn. Four miles in terms of... You're doing a... You're, you're banking mm -hmm. to make a turn like that. So what they decided they had to do uh, while they were in the eye was sort of evaluate the damage and try to climb up to 5,000 feet to get out of the hurricane to hopefully safely make it back. But they're doing this in a tiny eye banking with two and a half engines <laughs> and trying to climb to 5,000 feet. Mm. So they literally circle in the eye uh, for a long time and just sort of gradually work their way up until they finally got to around 5,000 feet. And from there they realized too, with our engines malfunctioned, <laughs> And the strength of this hurricane, mm -hmm. that's not going to be enough. Yeah, because they, they, they have to get out of the eye, which they means you've got to go right back through the eye wall of a Category 5 hurricane. So I can't remember if it was Jeff's idea or if it was one of the other people on board. They said we needed to start losing weight mm -hmm. in order to get out of this thing. Mm -hmm. When I read that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know what to think. Yeah, because they were down... An engine, they, they couldn't get to the altitude that they needed, so they dumped uh, 15,000 gallons of fuel. Uh, they got rid of that for the engine that had caught on fire to hopefully prevent any less damage from that. Uh, they also had, uh, wrote this down, um, 600 pounds of equipment yeah. that they dumped out of the plane. It was in the eye. It was basically drop zones that measured water temperature and ocean yeah. currents. Yeah, they were supposed to be doing a, a research mission, had everything gone oh. right. Uh, but it was 600 pounds, and that was 600 pounds they could get rid of. So, yeah, out it went, uh, plus the 15,000 gallons uh, of fuel to get out. Um, thankfully, other Hurricane Hunter aircraft <laughs> were doing missions. Uh, in Hugo at the same time, and they actually had, I think it was the Air Force Reserves mm -hmm. uh, plane came in at around 10,000 feet, where it's, it's the higher up you go, obviously yeah. the turbulence is a bit less. They came in at 10,000 feet, checked in on the Hurricane Hunters, did two passes over them to kind of check out the plane, flew above them, did a couple laps, flew below them uh, to check it out. Um, and the crew of the damaged Hurricane Hunter plane uh, continued to circle while the Air Force Hurricane Hunters um, went in and out of the eye wall to try to look for a spot where it was a little bit weaker mm. for them to finally get out. Uh, can you imagine going in and out? And they and would, experiencing they would, that. Yeah, they would go in, come back out, like, no, no, can't do it there. Yeah. Go in on the other side, no, can't do it there. Finally, I think it was four or five yeah. tries, they found a tiny little spot. Uh, where there was a little bit of a break in the eye wall and said, all right, this is your, this is your chance to get out. It was the northeast side yeah, of the eye northeast wall, side which is they, just so ironic. Yeah, which is unusual, yeah. Northeast is your yeah. strongest. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, crazy. And uh, they followed them out, made, made sure everything was okay. Uh, the other thing I found interesting, though, was because of the potential for fires on board, uh, they basically had to – shut down all electrical equipment yeah. on the plane. Basically, the only thing that was left on on the plane was what it took to keep it in the air. Uh, so they were flying blind as far as radar, anything like that, because one little spark, and you could get mm. even more trouble. And what makes this read so good is not only is he telling you everything, but he's telling you his thoughts. His thoughts, yeah. <sighs> and I kept thinking that there was a reporter. Yeah. That was Every once in a while, they'll take they'll – take members of the media mm -hmm. can you imagine no can you imagine not at all yeah there was a reporter and you don't really hear much about her kind of till the end of the story where she's just kind of sitting there and you know just uh, yeah yeah i can't imagine i don't know where that reporter is yeah but man what a story that would yeah, be yeah that close to losing losing a flight mm -hmm. in hugo and that was again right before 
uh, landfall in Puerto Rico. Not to get off too subject too crazy, but one of the um, meteorologists in control or in command, the MIC in Louisville, NWS Louisville, where I did my internship, worked for Hurricane Hunters mm-hmm. before he got into the sector. He told me in some of the strongest hurricanes, you would pack a change of clothes, specifically pants. Underwear. <laughs> Underwear and pants. Yeah, I can believe because it. Because when you go into the pressure change and you do hit mm-hmm. turbulence, you naturally yeah. go to the bathroom. Hmm. And it was a normal thing that happened. Hmm. Think about that. Okay. Yeah. And some of the stories he would tell me, it's just, yeah. it's crazy. Look, I'd love, I'd love to be on one of those flights. <laughs> give me a tropical storm. <laughs> give me, give me a little baby storm. Give me, a, <laughs> give me a little tropical storm, little category oh my one. Goodness. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't think I have it in me. I'm, my palms are sweaty. Yeah. Reading that story last night, I was the same way. Just, just mm. thinking about that. Um, and like you said, we'll provide that link. Yeah. He, he has so pictures. Good. Yeah, he has That's the pictures the that he part. took out the window that are just seeing the plane with yeah, the damage too, and like inside, you're like, oh my yeah. goodness. Um, the picture of what the eye looked like inside uh, of of Hugo in the eye, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable read. Oh, yeah. That's all I had on Hugo. <laughs> yeah, the the other story, and this one always kind of sticks out to me. And uh, there's there's some great stories about this. Was another almost disaster. Um, the famous Lincoln High School in McClellanville, mm, South Carolina. Um, tiny little McClellanville, you know, little tiny sleepy fishing village. Um, it had been a really long time since that part of the South Carolina coast. It had a big hurricane, so most people were kind of like, eh, we'll be all right. Yeah. We'll be all right. Um, so very few people evacuated McClellanville, uh, but they did open Lincoln High School as a shelter. So about 250 people went to Lincoln High School to ride out the hurricane, including local police, city officials, everybody. Everybody was in this Lincoln High School in McClellanville. Um, Hugo hit, and again, middle of the night, and uh, the storm surge came in, and this was around the area of the highest storm surge value, and the water started coming into the high school. Um, and as is typical with storm surge, especially a big one, it comes in fast. Mm-hmm. It comes in really fast. Um, and the water came in to the high school. Everybody was in the gymnasium um, at the high school. Uh, and the water got deep enough that, you know, mothers were tying children to their arms with whatever they could find to make sure they could stay with them. Uh, people were getting on top of tables, on top of file cabinets. Eventually that didn't get that wasn't high enough um and a lot of them ended up having to axe through the ceiling of the gymnasium to ride out the hurricane on the roof oh my gosh so you avoid the floodwaters but then you're in the pitch black with 130 mile per hour winds uh, riding it out on your roof those are your options those are your options Mm. do i stay in this gym where the water's coming up or do i go outside and and deal with 100 mile per hour winds in the pitch black of night uh, nobody was killed. That's just Everybody crazy. made it out of there alive, but just a horrifying story. The high school uh, is closed, but there's still a plaque that marks the high water line. Uh, mm. And that was, that's another thing about Hugo and how it changed the state. That high school should never have been an Me. evacuation yes. shelter. Mm-hmm. Hugo rewrote how this entire state deals with hurricanes yeah there's a lot of case studies done on it yeah because it was it was honestly that part of it the disaster the evacuations the prep the aftermath was kind of a disaster mm-hmm. um here locally the, one of the biggest issues was people coming back in mm-hmm. um there were there was so much damage that the officials were trying to hold people back but people want to get home after a hurricane and they didn't know to bring certain documents or whatever and there's some really famous video uh, you can probably find it on youtube i think on the other side of the bridge over oh, the waterway on this. 501 where people are just flipping out because they're not being allowed back over the bridge because it, it was honestly it was dangerous mm-hmm. but sitting there for a couple of days trying to get back in um, so shelters were redesigned after hugo uh, where shelters need to be the whole evacuation process uh, was redesigned after hugo it used to be, during the time of Hugo, you 
had a voluntary evacuation and you had a mandatory evacuation and it was just kind of like for the beach there wasn't a specific sort of area it was like and if it was voluntary you could go if you wanted if it was mandatory you were supposed to go but there was still no real enforcement to it uh i think i've told the story i always tell this one too the the night before hugo hit local officials were going up and down especially ocean boulevard (coughs) knocking on doors for people that stayed um and if they decided to stay and would not evacuate they would hand them a sharpie and make them write their social security number oh, yeah. on the inside of their arm in permanent marker. Uh, and they would say, we're going to use this to identify your body <laughs> when the hurricane is mm. over. Yeah. So that was kind of the scare tactic. But uh, so that's how we ended up with our evacuation zones now yeah. because of Hugo. Yeah. Let's bring it back to modern day too. And that aspect, because you always say when you do a talk and I vividly remember this on average for Myrtle beach, mm-hmm. we're due the grand yeah. strand. Yeah. For those that don't know, we're due. Yeah, we're due. Um, Hugo wasn't a major hit in Horry County. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was a major hit down south, but yep. it wasn't a landfall of a Category 3 or 4 hurricane. On average, we should get one of those once every 34 years. Um, our last major hit in Horry County landfall was Hazel in yep. 1954. So every 34 years is average, we're at 69 worth noting right yeah just something to think about yeah that's why we said keep it serious yeah oh anything else for Hugo? yeah there's one other thing (laughs) and then this one this one still fascinates me i I love it and i remember hearing about this at the time um 25 Mm. species of exotic and tropical birds were found in the carolinas after hurricane hugo so hugo Went through the Caribbean islands, mm-hmm. went over Puerto Rico. Poor little birds, they're riding out the hurricane, getting beaten and battered. The eye comes, and they're trying to fly and figure out what's going on. And these birds literally get trapped in the eye and fly with the eye, <laughs> stay inside the eye until its final landfall in South Carolina. And as the storm winds down, those birds can finally sort of get out. Um, and yeah, 25 new species of tropical birds found in the Carolinas that were transported here in the eye of Hurricane Hugo. Yeah, it's bananas. That is insane. And, and that's actually fairly common. It's yeah. kind of a common thing. Uh, but to have that many. And to have is, it like here. Yeah. Like right you here. hear yeah. about it, but yeah. to actually yeah. see that and experience that, that yeah. is crazy. Um, I know we're probably way over on time but yeah. who cares we're going yeah, to we shoot the breeze the yeah yeah let's shoot the breeze. Um, yeah we're going to shoot the breeze here and there's so we could literally just keep going for hours on hugo um we, we could have dove into case studies all of the it. direct path the steering flow which was a high pressure to the northeast yeah. the direct yeah all of it we're going to save you more the time. stories <laughs> more pictures more video but yeah but that's what's great because now you can ask questions yeah. and if there's something that we touched on that you want to go deeper into by mm-hmm. all means, ask. Yep. Uh, we got a couple more, which we love. Once again, we call this Shooting the Breeze. Shooting the Breeze. Um, you can ask these questions to us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and we will answer them to the best of our ability. Can't guarantee we'll always be right. Yeah. but We'll, we'll make it up. <laughs> we'll look good doing <laughs> we'll it. We'll say something. Uh, I'll go first, Okay, and then you can answer it. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, that looks like a big one. Two-part question. Ooh. I've often heard the terms partly cloudy and partly sunny. Is there a difference? In my interpretation, partly cloudy equals mostly sunny, and partly sunny equals mostly cloudy. Is that right? Am I wrong? This confuses me. Also, can you still get sunburned if it's cloudy out? Let's start with the easy part. Yes, you can still get sunburned if it's cloudy. You can. Especially if it's high, thin clouds. Yep. Yeah, especially if it's high, thin clouds. Mm -hmm. Partly cloudy versus partly sunny. Partly cloudy equals mostly sunny, and partly sunny equals mostly cloudy. No. There are there are technical definitions. Percentages, percentages of yeah. partly cloudy versus partly sunny versus mostly sunny versus mostly cloudy. Fill time while I look. I don't know these percentages off the top of my head. I'll Do tell you, you this. No, but I, I mean, I could probably guess. Mostly sunny is like less than 10% cloud cover. Yep. Um, partly cloudy goes up to like 30%. 
then you start to get mostly cloudy, which is like 30 to 60, and then you have cloudy. It's something along those lines. I'll tell you this. I don't go by the percentages. So for me, if there's, you know, even high cirrus clouds, yeah. mostly sunny. Sunny, yeah. My partly cloudy comes in when I start to know, okay, there was going to be some cumulus clouds, yeah. some shadows out there. And that's when I say a mix of sun and clouds. Correct. Which is not in the official definition. Which is not. The official definition, I had to look this up, the National Weather Service definition, this is classic government for you. The National Weather Service definition states that between three-eighths and five-eighths of the sky is covered by clouds when it's classified as partly cloudy. So number one, you lost me on fractions. Number two, it's it's complicated, but... Uh, I thought it was percentages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there is a difference, that's, but... It's, that's like us and 50%. I don't say 50%, yeah. and I don't say partly cloudy You'll because... It. It, because of that very question. Yeah, I say mostly sunny. We'll have yeah, sunshine. Mostly sunny, plenty of sun. A few clouds. A few clouds. That's a good way to do yeah. it. Partly yeah. cloudy is a big Partly, scope. yeah. Yeah. Sun and clouds. Fair <laughs> skies. That's a good question. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Uh, yeah, that was something good. different that we haven't had. What advice do you have for people who don't take heed when advised to evacuate? Mm. You're putting your life at risk. Yeah. You're it's putting your life at decision. risk. I had a talk this week uh, with some folks, and uh, there was one guy, fairly new here, um, been here through a couple of the hurricanes. I'm not leaving no matter what. <laughs> not leaving no matter what. <laughs> Even if it's category four, yeah. I'm not leaving. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. So, and I kind of focused in on him during this talk. Mm-hmm. You know, the hurricane itself is bad enough. We get yeah. hit with a three or four. You're in an evacuation zone and you don't evacuate. Okay. You might make it through the hurricane. Fine. God bless you if you do. But then I kind of got up to him and I was like, but are you prepared to have a stroke? mm to have a heart attack, to fall and break your leg in the height of the hurricane, to fight a fire. God forbid that happen. Yeah. That's what you need to think about when you decide to ride out a hurricane yeah. in an area that should be evacuated because you're going to be isolated and you're going to be on your own because yeah. the flood water is going to be too high. Emergency services are going to stop running. And it's not just being at home for a hurricane. There's some bad stuff, and there's a good chance that it might be 12 or 18 hours before you're going to be able to get whatever help that you need mm-hmm. in a bad hurricane. So you got to think about those things. And never say never either. Yeah. Ian. <laughs> yeah. We had a fire down in Garden City. Yeah. I mean, it does not take much. We yeah. have trees coming and power yeah. lines Matthew, down. Matthew, classic example. You know? Cherry Grove, we had a fire break out. As the hurricane was winding down, but the water was still high enough and the wind was still high enough that the crews couldn't get there. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up spreading to 10 houses, condos, you know, yeah. it's, you're, you really got to think about those things. Yeah. When you decide to not evacuate and, and you talk to anybody who decided to ride out a hurricane when they were told to evacuate and they'll tell you, they'll tell you it was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Yep. Scariest time of their. Yep. 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 Great question. Um, yeah. <laughs> do it if we tell you to do it right this is from george via youtube hey george thanks george. for the question um are there more models besides the gfs and euro oh which, yes which model is typically the most accurate get this a lot this time of the year mm-hmm. which one is the most accurate because we show it yeah we show them a lot and we and we show the gfs and euro um because they are kind of the two the two big ones yeah um GFS, this was a question just popped in my head from uh, our buddy Mark. Mm. stands for Global Forecasting System. Yeah. Uh, Euro is kind of short for European European, European Forecast Model. Um, they both have their strong points. I always hesitate when I say one's better than the other because yeah. they're both – they both have good points. They both have bad points. GFS has done a really good job the tropics this year. GFS has really nailed the tropics this year. Euro's been kind of – a little sloppy this year yeah. with with tropical systems. When you look at the numbers, European tends to be better, um, but not by much. Yeah, a, a small margin. It had the nickname um, a long time, King Euro. King Euro, what everyone called it. Yeah, King Euro. Um, but yes, and there are, and there's also a lot more models besides mm-hmm. uh, those two. You've got short term models, the Her, the Nam, 
our uh, in-house graph that we the use. The graph. Uh, you also have um, the Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, the icon, which icon. we always talk about. I'm losing faith in the icon. It's, it's had a bad year. It might have been a, a one-time one. It might have been a one-time wonder. I, I, I was amazed at how well the icon did last year with Ian. Mm-hmm. Been trying to find a little golden nugget out of the icon this year, and it's just Nothing. not. It's, it's not doing it. It is not doing it this it's, year. It's in La La Land yeah. half the time. Yeah. But the way we're talking, too, I think is a good answer to this question. Like, we look at these four times a day. Mm-hmm. And we know the forecast for 365 days previously. Mm-hmm. There's trends and there's times where you and I, Robert, Matt, will mm-hmm. lean one way. Like lately, the herd temperature-wise has mm-hmm. been trash, mm-hmm. which is the ARRR, or high-resolution yeah. model. It's been way too cool. 75, yeah. 77, we've been hitting the 80s. Yeah. And now we know that because of our previous data. And when you look at this over and over again, it's trial and error. Mm-hmm. There's been many times we probably trusted too much into the Euro and, and, got, we and got you get bit. and you got bit and you get burned and the herb is awful when it comes to tropical systems around here. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, it it'll show, everything. Yeah, it'll show worst case scenarios of, you know, hundred mile per hour winds when actuality will get, you know, fifty. Um, yeah, they're fun to look at, mm-hmm. but yeah, again, it's that part of our job is sort of knowing those weaknesses, knowing mm-hmm. those strengths. Um, and knowing the pattern that supports a certain type of system that we're forecasting and massaging, you know, we never just sort of go with what the model says. Correct. That's not our job. Anybody mm-hmm. can do that. It's we it's, wouldn't be here if we did. Yeah, it's taking data from each model and uh, knowing the pattern and knowing local microclimates and mm-hmm. how they work and you kind of massage all of that data together to come up with a forecast yeah really good question that could be a whole episode yeah itself. yeah we do yeah, it whole, would be one boring episode but yeah, we could models do it. yeah yeah we could do a models <laughs> episode i would love to do a models episode with someone who looks at the models but isn't like in the field mm-hmm. like That's tell me cool. what you know about yeah yeah her. yeah not to like shoot them down but just to show you that like, there's a lot in there yeah um but yeah, good question. Let's do one more and then okay. we'll wrap it up. Sounds good. Do, do, do. Oh, I like this. Recently, WBF updated its graphics and they're awesome. What impact do you feel graphics have on weather forecasting? Everything. Everything. Um, I'm thinking of even with this weekend system, probably my favorite graphic that we have right now. And it is the simplest thing we've ever done. Yeah. Was the two lows. <laughs> and you made that, and I'm hooked. Wasn't it great? So traditionally what we would have done, this whole new thing is simpler is better. Simple. Simple, clean. Yeah. Typically what we would have done is we would have shown one model with a future radar on the clouds. Yeah. Stopped it, and then fade it one on. Yeah. This just shows the two lows, shows the speed, and the... Tr- and that's it. And that's it. I that's love all, it. That's all that matters. You I just love it. The, the, the new thing, and then generally in the business, but also especially here with us, is just just keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. I always say this. Everybody's got busy lives, and when they're watching the news or they're watching on Facebook or they're watching on their phone, uh, they're putting the kids to bed and cooking and cleaning or on their break at work or, you know, doing something. Mm. Um so let's not bog them down with, with complicated things. Let's keep it really simple. Speaking of simple, easy. I have to give this guy a shout out. Do you remember the meteorologist who did the subtropical, tropical? I do. Um, have you seen the one I made? Corey Smith, no. I'll show you I the haven't. one. I, mean, I, I copied From an this inspiration? Graphic. Yeah. yeah, beautiful Talk graphic. Talk about simple. Yeah. Loved it. Corey, we're going to attack you at some point. Yeah. This was fantastic. And Corey, I stole your graphic and I think personally made it better. <laughs> thanks yep, thanks, Corey. thanks Corey I was actually talking to one of our good buddies Christian Morgan up in uh, Winston-Salem too about just and he's even messaged me and said mm-hmm. those graphics are great mm-hmm. traditionally like I would have put a lot of text in there and explained bullet yeah. point no mm-hmm. I took all that off now and you're going to get what you get here and I'm glad they like our graphics but that's our new thing now so clean and just simple and simple and let you do the talking like yeah, us and I felt better when I was text. when I was using that graphic with the GFS and Euro. Oh, it's so much fun. 
I just, I spent a lot of time on it, yeah. but I didn't feel like bogged down with it. Mm-hmm. I just, just kind of walked through it. All right. Well, here we are Thursday. Here we are Friday. Here's where they are. Here we are Saturday. Here's where they are. This mm. is the difference. This is what it could mean. And you just, it just felt good. And then I faded on the impacts right after yeah, with the same. two. Oh. Yeah. 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 So good. good. Yeah. yeah. We're graphics geeks. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and we could talk more on that down the road, but by far, that might be one of my favorite graphics we have now. Yeah. And it will always be used. I could promise you that. Yep. Uh, episode 24. Episode 24, yeah. That was about 50 minutes. We did pretty good. We did good. I thought yeah. we would go longer, but I'm glad that we didn't because I know sometimes these could get boring if we keep rambling. Um, I have no idea. I'll be honest with you. We didn't know what we were doing until we are like, Hugo anniversary is yeah, coming yeah. up. So we'll see what happens next week. So we'll see what happens next week. I'm still in contact with Mitch. He's going to be coming up here, down here. He's in Columbia, down here. Good. Um, so I'm pumped about that. We have uh, we got to start planning our Seriousmas. Yeah, Seriousmas. Are you Seriousmas? We're uh, we're going to work on that. Early December. Yep. We got plenty of time. Yeah. Not yeah, really. I've got an idea for that episode for the for this Christmas episode. Oh, really? So I think we'll be good to go on that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So having fun. It's fall. It is fall, fall y'all. Fall, y'all. Yeah. Enjoy I, it. If there's anything you want us to talk about you think would be a good topic by all means let us know yeah even if we talk about it for five minutes we're always looking for the content or you might give us an uh, inspiration for a whole new episode yeah right some of these questions sometimes do yeah i got a polar vortex question (laughs) from mark yep (laughs) i did too yeah i'm tempted to just go into it and just i would love to. i think that would be a good episode heading into winter just Mm -hmm. kind of a winter polar vortex Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, maybe even talk about bomb cyclones. Okay, good. That's where I was going <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah, I okay. kind of figured, yeah. Here's your tease. Yeah. Uh, that will be a little bit later, but uh, episode 24, that's it. Remember, rate, like, subscribe, share, comment. Download. Tell your grandma. Yep. Um, yeah. Do we, it. we appreciate it. Y'all have Thanks, a good y'all. one.